So does your career energize you with life or does it drain you? Recent Gallup polls show that a whopping 70% of us feel disengaged in the workplace. There's just gotta be a better way. Welcome to our authentic careers where it is my job to uncover the ideas and strategies that can help you become better aligned with your career. I'm your host, Gert Sabar, and I interview people like you and me about the twists and turns in their career paths so that we can all achieve greater clarity, meaning, and fulfillment in ours. And bam, just like that, we have arrived at the one-year mark of our authentic careers. Welcome, everyone, to this week's anniversary podcast, where I promise you are in for a treat. What better way, I thought, to mark this anniversary than to bring on a former career coaching client of mine who, as we speak, is in the process of pulling off one of the most difficult stunts, and that is the mid-career transition. As you'll soon hear, Stephanie Weston found herself stuck deep in a job and path that had just taken her too far away from her most core talent and expression, which we discovered for Steph is simply her deep, deep need to be coaching and guiding others. That expression of coaching, that talent is literally and viscerally in her bones. And now she's owning it. Steph is off to the races and is pursuing a much more entrepreneurial path towards a private practice. And what I love about the way she recounts her journey is the clarity she has about her feelings every step of the way. Steph has a really firm grasp of that thing we call our gut instinct and has clearly relied on it heavily throughout her career. So without further ado, please allow me to introduce you to the very open-hearted Stephanie Weston. All right, well, awesome, Steph. Well, thank you, first of all, for, uh, for agreeing to, uh, to share your journey. Sure. Question number one for you, do you ever think about the concept of purpose or mission or what it is I'm meant to be doing here on this planet? Um, yes, I do sometimes think about purpose. I, I think the part that I worry about is that I don't always feel like I know what my purpose is. Yep. Um, I think that most of the time I do feel pretty confident that I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I was always sort of I don't know, pushed in my, in my mind to, to help people. And that's what always felt right. So most of the time I feel pretty confident that I, I'm my purpose. I'm, I'm doing the right thing yep. for my purpose. This idea of helping people. When did that idea come into your mind as being your purpose? You know, I think probably around college time. Mm-hmm. Um, I was, I started in a major that turned out not to be the right one for me, which was film and television. Yep. Um, and then I moved to child development, which felt a, a little more like me. Um, but I had some internships working with small children, and I kind of didn't feel like that was clicking. And then I had an internship with um, at-risk adolescents. Yep. And it felt very comfortable, and it really just felt right. Yeah. So I think it was around, and that was the end of college. So I think it was around the end of college that I really felt like, I think this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Yeah. And Steph, um, this idea of something feeling right. Can you tell me what what that feeling is? How would you describe that? I don't know. 
I think kind of just like a calmness within inside me. Yeah. I think it just felt um, safe. I think I just felt like I didn't have questions. I think I just felt like it made me feel like I'm doing the right thing for myself. Great. And Stephanie, for the benefit of the listeners, can you tell me what it is that you do today? Uh, today, I am a therapist. Um, I have my own private practice, and I am going to be joining a group practice um, as an independent contractor for Kaiser clients. Yep. Um, I've, I've had a lot of titles kind of over my, my career, um, but therapist has kind of always been at my core, I think. Yeah. And... Let me ask this question from another angle. Are you today in your career where you thought you would be when you were younger? You know, I don't know that when I was younger, I really thought about it so much. I think my mom was a teacher and I just sort of assumed I would be a teacher. Not necessarily because I wanted to be a teacher, uh -huh. but just because it just in my mind, you just sort of do what your mom does. Um, and people always told me, oh, you're really great with kids and kids love you. And I, you know, I taught Sunday school and so I always, and I babysat. So I always was around kids. So I think I just sort of assumed that that meant I had to be a teacher. Yep. I didn't really know that there were other options out there. Yeah. And was being a teacher the first idea that you had of what you wanted to be when you grew up? You know, I think it was. I, I remember though when I was little playing in my room and I was playing psychologist. Right. Or, I, I mean, I, I thought it was a psychologist. I realize now it could have been a therapist or somebody else. Right. Uh, but I just remember like setting up all my little dolls on chairs. Apparently I was doing group therapy that day. Right. And I, I was like handing out bills. Like I was just, so I don't actually remember doing the therapy part. I just remember asking for money. Right. I, so I, I, I remember that. But I don't know that in my mind I thought, oh, that means I'm going to be a therapist. So yeah. I think I just grew up feeling like, oh, I'm for sure going to be a teacher. And then I did some teaching when I grew up and I realized that's not for me. Yeah. And so you have this idea that you're going to be a teacher. What, how does that sort of play out as you're, you know, as you're in high school and in college? What, how does that affect your decision making? I think at some point I, I really did get confused and decide that I don't want to be teaching, mm -hmm. but I didn't really know other options. And so I just kind of kept following that path. Yep. And then I definitely hit a point in mid college where I said, this is not at all what I'm interested in and not what I should be doing. Yep. But I, I think I just didn't realize it for a long time. Yeah. And so did you go to college for teaching? No. I mean, I started, I wanted to be a screenwriter. I started um, in film and I think I just wasn't that interested. I was really bored. I was taking these classes on learning about FCC regulations and I just felt like this isn't really feeling right to me and I wasn't getting great grades. Yep. <laughs> so I like, if this is what I really want to do, I should probably be more interested and probably want to study more. Um, so, and so I just, and then I just felt like, you know what? I'm great with kids. I'll just do child development. And I didn't even know what that meant either. I really just thought that meant, you know, you'll be a teacher for, for children. Yeah. And Steph, how did you end up in screenwriting? What was, what was the process that got you there? What was the interest? 
I loved, I always loved writing from uh-huh. the time I was, I don't know, eight, nine. Um, I, I wrote in journals every night. I actually just found all of my journals uh-huh. during, during this packing process to move. And I mean, it's pretty, pretty hilarious. I mean, I wrote in a journal really every night from the time I was like, wow, eight or nine until I don't know, 28. Wow. 29, 30. You, you kept yeah. them all? Yeah, I have them all. <laughs> That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, I don't know what's going to happen when I die. <laughs> right. I don't want those babies out there. Right. But it's so I, I just I loved writing. And I remember I used to write short stories. Um, I just I don't know. I kind of had this weird imagination. And the funny thing is when I I read a couple of the short stories later in life and they were all um, the main character was all a teenager who and they were always struggling with something. Yep. So I think I just maybe always knew that I was interested in in the adolescent kind of um, population. Yeah, and um, but do you remember what took you from uh, this from journal writing to wanting to write for film? You know, I moved to California when I was sixteen from Texas, and I moved here, and it's very you know Hollywood focused and. I think I just was, I, I was more kind of in the world of movies than I ever was before. Yep. So my last two years of, of high school, I, th- I was in California and I think I was just maybe trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And in my mind I said, oh, well, I like writing and you know, movies are fun. Right, right. <laughs> I mean, it really, it wasn't, it wasn't something that I'd been thinking of my whole life. And I, I think the fact that I wasn't happy very quickly in my college years with film writing, I think that probably was an indication that this was maybe an impulsive decision. And Steph, so you're in college, you're not happy. Um, you know, this might seem like a ridiculous question, but what what are the what are the kind of benchmarks that you use to determine unhappiness with something? Um, I remember dreading going to certain film classes. Yep. I remember being in class and thinking, I don't even know what they're talking about, and I actually don't even care to ask a question. Right. Um. I remember, I remember looking around the room and seeing everybody so motivated and just, you know, frantically taking notes and raising their hands. And I'm thinking, this is—I'm not fitting in here. Yep. Like, I'm just not that interested. And it wasn't even in my mind that I was more interested in something else, which I think was probably the scary part. It just—I just knew that this wasn't it. And it was a little bit upsetting because when I went to school, the the film program was impacted. So I, it was very hard to get into and I had to, I had to actually work pretty hard to get in. I had a couple of interviews, I had to do some applications and it was kind of a big deal. And so I sort of felt like, you know what, it's hard to get into this program. I should not be taking the space for somebody who really does feel like this is their calling. So I I just pulled out and, and switched my major. So, um, walk us through just a little bit at that moment in time, um, how do you start to think about what it is that you do want to do? Well, I, I think at that point, that's when I sort of went to my core and my gut feeling. Yep. I think I was just thinking so hard that it just everything was so confusing to me. And when I finally stopped and said, okay, you know, what are you good at? What are you comfortable with? What is familiar to you? what seems like a no-brainer, yep. it kind of led me to, to child and adolescent development. 
I still didn't know what that meant. And, you know, in retrospect, I, I definitely should have done social work. Uh-huh. You know, <laughs> you don't know those things then. Right. But at the time, it just felt like, well, I'm good with kids. Everyone tells me I'm good with kids. My mom always says, oh, you know, you're going to be an amazing teacher. And so it just kind of made sense to do that. Yep. Got so, it. Yeah, I, I think it, I think at the time it felt like the absolute right thing to do. Um, so what happens next? Um, so I take classes that I'm much more interested in. Yep. I really loved learning about kids and, and teens and um, just the, the developmental stages. Um, I had an in, oh, I worked actually for a couple of years as a preschool teacher, which was adorable, um, uh-huh. but not, it just, I realized that, that wasn't the age I wanted to work with. I really like talking to people and being understood yep. <laughs> and just getting feedback. And so I just, I realized quickly that that wasn't the age I wanted, although they were super cute and it was fun. Yeah. So my, my last year was when I had an internship with pregnant and parenting teens, for, like at-risk teens. Yep. Um, and to me, that, that was what kind of changed my life because I realized that that was what I was interested in. That was a population that really needed people to care about them. Yeah. And so tell me what that experience is like. What is it about that experience that you feel sparks you on the inside? I think there's a part of it that I just, I felt really good knowing that I was being nice and caring for somebody who probably didn't have a lot of people to do that. Yeah. For them. Um, you know, I listened to their stories and they were heartbreaking and I just felt, I think I just felt good knowing that I was able to be that kind of listening ear and support for somebody who might not otherwise have had that. Yeah. And Stephanie, think back on your life today. Where do you think that sort of part of you comes from? Um, you know, I, <laughs> I would like to think that I was always a very caring person and I, you know, it was just kind of who I was. Yep. But <laughs> <laughs> I, I kind of think that a little of it was just kind of selfishness. Um, when I moved to California, I was just traumatized. Mm-hmm. I just, it was so, so hard for me. And, you know, I loved my community. You know, I grew up in Houston. I loved my community. I loved my friends. I just loved everything about my life. And to move at age 16 was just really hard for me. Right. And I think that, you know, my... I think my parents, I mean, my parents knew it was obviously hard, but in their mind, it it had to be done. So it didn't really matter if it was going to be hard. Mm -hmm. And so my parents always thought I was really dramatic (laughs) when I would say, oh my gosh, my life is so hard and I can't believe I moved. And so I think I sort of felt like there was not a lot of people there to kind of support me when, when I was in that place. And so I, I think it's probably not a coincidence that I was kind of led towards the, the teenage population. And although mine was clearly just like teen angst and the at-risk right. teens that I've worked with were real problems, right. uh, I think that probably is connected in some way. Steph, thinking back to your life and career to date and thinking about your friends, family, and colleagues throughout the years, is there a consistent thread in the type of advice or counsel that people have sought from you? Well, I mean, people 
do come to me a lot for a whole host of things. I think, I mean, usually relationship things, a lot of times relationships with parents. Um, I mean, that's my, my older years. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think people do find that I can be very logical and, you know, I'm, I'm very fair. You know, I will, I will tell things, I will be very direct. Um, but I think I do it with love and with, you know, caring. So I I think people tend to come to me, but it's usually around kind of relationship issues. Yeah. And Steph, on a scale of zero to 10, where zero is a total non-issue and 10 is a big, dark, gloomy shadow, how large a shadow would you say that financial considerations have had over your career path to date? I would say maybe like a six. Mm -hmm. I mean, I I think I always picked um, jobs that felt right to me and money wasn't always such a factor. But being... You know, being a social worker, I'm not exactly in a field where, you know, money is endless. Right. <laughs> so, so it was always something that I did have to kind of keep in mind. And it was something that, you know, always worried me. But I did, I, I think I was pretty good at making decisions based on what felt right, not what was the most financially sound. <laughs> yep. And stuff. so today you're, um, you're starting your own practice, you're joining, uh, looking to join a group practice. Walk us a little bit back before that. What were you doing um, and how did you get to this place? Um, so I've actually, I mean, I've had a pretty long social work career, but I've worked in, in places for a long time. So I haven't actually had worked at so many different places. Yep. I started right out of college at a um, organization called Vista Del Mar uh, child and family services that work with at-risk youth. And right out of college, I worked in their school as a teacher's assistant. Um, and it was pretty much after like the first year that I realized, yeah, teaching is not what I want, even though I kind of knew that, but I just thought I need to get my foot in the door with this population. Yeah, And I knew there were, I met a girl who was a social worker and I just felt like, yeah, I definitely want her job. Uh-huh. <laughs> I definitely think that that's what I'm supposed to be doing. So I worked there for three years, and then I finally said, okay, go to grad school. So I went to grad school and got my master's in social work. Um, and then I actually got a stipend with the county. So they paid for everything for school, which was incredible, including my living expenses, Um because back in 2000, they were a little bit cheaper than they are now. So the, the stipend I got kind of paid for everything. And then I had to, after I graduated, I just had to pay them back by working for the county. Yep. So I worked for Department of Children and Family Services for three years doing adoptions and family maintenance reunification, which meant taking kids away from the family, but trying to get them back with their with their parents. Yeah. Um, and that was a, I mean, that was an incredible learning experience. And I think anybody, any social worker who is working in LA County should have some experience with that. Um, and then where did I go? Oh, then from there, I went back to Vista Del Mar and worked in their, what's called a community treatment facility. It's a locked facility for emotionally disturbed kids. Yep. And I was a therapist there for seven years, six years. Um, and I absolutely loved it. I mean, I, I just 
it felt the most right out of any job I'd ever had. Um, but I got to a point where I felt like, you know what, there's things that I want to change and, and things that need to be done. And I was not in the position to do that. And so I started realizing I wanted more of a supervisory, um, position. Yeah. So I left there and I went to another organization, um, called DD Hirsch mental health services. Uh, and I was the program coordinator for a crisis residential facility for mentally ill adults. Yep. Then very quickly, a couple of years later, I got promoted to program director and I did that. So I was there for five years and I just kind of felt like I want to get back to my, my roots of, of therapy and the administrative role was great and I learned a lot and there's still aspects of it that I, I miss and I love, but I just, I really miss that kind of direct care working with, with clients. Yeah. So I just left a not even a month ago right. and, um, and started on my own. And I, it's, it's great. I mean, I already have some clients and it, it just definitely felt like the right move to make. Yeah. And as you're traveling down this path and you're getting all the way up to this administrative level, what, what again, if we're looking at sort of internal benchmarks, um, what, what's getting triggered inside of you that's telling you this, this is just not for me. I think there were so many aspects of my job that took me away from helping people. Yep. That it just started to feel like not the right role for me. And I started to just, I mean, honestly, I started to just get frustrated easier. And I felt like the things that I wanted to do, I didn't have time to do because there were so many other pieces that had to be in place. And so I just, I just sort of felt in my gut that I was, I sort of lost, <laughs> lost touch with, with my original plan. Yeah. Of, and, and, and again, the original plan being helping people, helping people and, yeah. he and helping people being defined as a one on one on one interaction. Not necessarily. I mean, I do, I, I do like that one on one interaction, Yep. but I guess just more, conversations, more helping, more being involved in something, you know, not yeah. sitting behind a desk, writing emails and doing things that, that just didn't feel like I was, I don't know, I guess just doing things that, that didn't feel like my insides were happy. Just delving in further here for a second on these interactions with people is it the solve help the solving of their problems that is most enlivening? Part of what I really liked was being a mentor. You know, the the piece that I just absolutely love and miss about my job was the camaraderie I had with my staff uh -huh. and feeling kind of like a mentor for them. Yep. Um, and it wasn't about solving problems. It was more, I guess, it was about being an ear, but also just sort of being that that. Thing in their life that they could come to to bounce ideas off of and to be pushed a little bit out of their comfort zone. Yeah, I was really big at pushing people out of their comfort zone um, because I think that's where you see the most change. So it it wasn't just me kind of giving advice of what they should do. It's kind of listening to where they are, listening to you know where they want to go, and just being someone who they felt comfortable and safe sharing that with. Where do you feel like that part of you comes from, this sort of guiding light? 
to folks? I don't know. I mean, I think my parents, my parents are wonderful people and they have always kind of been the voice of reason in my life, in other people's lives. Um, so I probably, I mean, I, I look up to them and I, you know, I used to not necessarily go to them for advice, but I would, I would go to them for kind of safety. And I think that, I think that I probably got a little bit of that. Yeah. Yeah. Can you tell me what it is that your parents do or did? So my mom was a teacher, um, all through my growing up years. And then when we moved to California, she was doing substitute teaching for a while. And then she decided she didn't like that. So she went to work at, um, Cal State Fullerton as an administrative assistant in the economics department. Yep. And then she retired about, oh, I should probably know this. <laughs> I don't know, maybe six years ago, eight years ago. Yep. Um, and my dad is an immunologist. So he studies uh, tumors, biology of cancer, how stress affects the immune system, things like that. Yeah. Um, and he is a professor at Cal State Fullerton. Um, he also has a lab there. He is in the process of retiring, so that's going to be <laughs> interesting because he just he loves what he does and he loves his work. Um, so my my parents have been very career driven and focused my whole life. Can you tell me um, what impact they have had on your career and decision making processes along the way, either explicitly or implicitly? It's very different for each of my parents uh -huh. because my mom is, you know, a little bit of a worry wart, mm -hmm. typical Jewish mom who just right. wants you know, the best for her kids and no harm to, you know, come. So she's never been a big fan of my job choices uh -huh. because she just always felt like there was danger lurking around every corner. Right. Um, so... I, I've tended to, to kind of shy away from her when it comes to needing some, some job advice or career advice because uh -huh. she's looking at it from a different perspective. Um, I think my dad has always kind of made it clear that, you know, you, you pick a career that feels right to you and, um, and you, and you stick with it. And when there's troubles and it, things are hard, you know, you make do and, you know, having a good work ethic is important and, so yeah. I, I think he was pretty instrumental in kind of how I approached all of my jobs. How would you describe your relationship to fear? Oh, I'm not a fan of that. <laughs> uh, not a fan of fear. Yeah, I, I mean, I think I developed some of my mom's anxiety. Uh-huh. Um, and so, I mean, I think I tend to be nervous about things that, I, that are going to bring fear into my life. Um, but because I, I don't want to keep, let it keep it from, let it keep me from doing things I want to do. I kind of fight through it, but there've been a lot of decisions that have been difficult for me to make because there's been some element of, of fear involved. But Steph, you, you, you seem to, to fight through it. What, what, what is the key to fighting through fear for you? I think just knowing that whatever situation I embark on, I'm going to grow from it. Yep. And, you know, even if it's scary, that's going to teach me something. And, you know, I, I think, you know, moving when I was young and being so unhappy with that 
and complaining about it for as long as I did. I mean, it really has made me who I am today in a lot of ways. And I've experienced things that I wouldn't have otherwise. And so I think I know that as much as I don't like fear and as much as I don't like to be afraid of things and it, it kind of, it helps me to just be a better person and be a more experienced person. Are there any career decisions um, today looking back that you would choose to undo or somehow redo? Well, no, only because I think that I got to where I am today because of everything I've done. Yep. I mean, the, the only thing I guess I would say is I tend to think about things a lot longer than maybe they need to be thought about. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so, you know, my first year after college when I worked at Vista as a TA, I knew I wanted to go to grad school and be a social worker. But it took me an additional two years to actually get off my butt and do it. Yeah. Why do you think that is? Um, what accounts for that lag time? I mean, it might be laziness. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, I, I no, I mean, I th- well, yes, I think it's partial laziness because I, I kind of know that, okay, there's hard work ahead of me and I kind of want to push that off for as long as I can. Yeah. Um, but I think a lot of it is fear. I think yep. just the fear of, okay, what if this isn't the right choice? You know, what if I don't do well? Um, what if this is really hard for me? You know, I don't like change. I've never liked change. I'm very much a creature of habit. And so I think partly it's just the idea of I'm just comfortable where I am now and I don't I don't really want to rock the boat. Yep. That's great. And then on the flip side, Steph, what would you tout as a career highlight? Um, career. <laughs> Interestingly enough, I think being promoted to program director yep. um, was a career highlight. I think, you know, sometimes you you think you want something so badly and it's not until you get it that you realize, okay, maybe I didn't actually want that. Right. And, you know, so when I was at Vista as a therapist and I saw changes that I wanted to be made and I couldn't make them, like I just kept saying, you know, I want to be the director of a residential program where I can make changes. Yeah. And I continued to stay as a therapist for years, you know, still saying that. It took years to kind of get out of there and finally go on to a different agency where I could have that role. And I think that I was so excited when I finally got exactly what I wanted that once I had it, I realized there were parts that I hadn't really expected. Yeah. But, at, you know, for I would say a good six, eight months, I was as happy as can be. I mean, I got exactly what I wanted and I really, really loved my job. Right. Yeah, right. I was really proud of myself. I mean, I felt like for someone who doesn't really like change, I really pushed myself out of my comfort zone to leave Vista Del Mar, to come to Dee Dee Hirsch, to do a completely different job that I really had no experience doing. You were so clear about wanting that role. How, how would you compare that to the path and journey you're on now of kind of doing your own thing? I mean, I think there. I, I think it's kind of the same basic feeling. Yep. I think that um, I know in my gut what feels right, and you know, although I wasn't happy in the end in my role as director, the the thing that I wanted about that job, I I really I had throughout my entire time there. Yep. You know, being being able to be in a position where you know, I can make some changes and people can come to me for things. And, um, 
that that lasted the whole time and I, I had that and so I feel like that is what I kind of take with me for this this job that you know I'm fle- I'm in a flexible position where I'm the one who can make changes and people right. can me for things and so I, I feel like the the underlying piece you know is there yeah and do you feel like now having um, that knowledge of that underlying piece and owning that is that what's giving you sort of the confidence to do what you're doing right now? Yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that I, I everything just feels right. Yeah. You know, I've always been somebody that's gone with my gut. And, you know, my gut has really never led me astray. Yep. Um, which is why I don't look back on any of my jobs and say, oh, I shouldn't have done that. Um, so, I, yeah, I, I think that... I kind of always know. Yeah. Part of the reason I might wait too long before I do something or kind of lag on things is not because my gut is telling me to. It's just because, you know, I, I, my gut is right and I'm just not ready for it. Steph, this idea of the gut, how do you listen to it? What is it that you're, what, how do you tune into it? I mean, it's a good question and I don't actually know that I can put it into words because yeah. it's really just a feeling. I mean, I think that I have this feeling sometimes in the pit of my stomach where it's just maybe anxiety or it's just something, but it just feels like a, like a high alert. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, it, that's it. That's helped me through, you know, conversations with my parents. That's helped me through school. That's helped me through dating. That's helped yeah. me through everything. I mean, it's just this feeling like in my stomach where. I just know like I'm supposed to be paying attention to something. So start looking. (laughs) When's the earliest you can remember kind of tuning into your gut? I I mean, I would say, I don't think it was so, so early that I can remember it. I would say in college. Yeah. Yeah. I would say in college, I don't think it was so early that I could recognize that my gut was helpful to me. I mean, maybe it always was and I just didn't really pay attention. Right. But I remember in college starting to have feelings of like, wait a minute, this doesn't feel right. Good. So last question here, Stephanie, Um, knowing what you know today, how would you advise your younger self? You know, I don't know that I would advise them to do anything different. Um, I might advise them to do a little bit of research, (laughs) Uh (laughs) you know, Although everything worked out in my and I got to where I wanted to be, I still believe that I probably should have had a social work um, bachelor's degree. Uh-huh. <laughs> I don't know why. I mean, it doesn't actually matter, but I think that you know, just I think just because I knew that I wanted to work with kids and teenagers, I didn't actually know what that meant. So maybe I would advise them to do a little bit of research and see what other you know careers that, you know, you could have besides being, you know, a a preschool teacher or, you know, a middle school teacher. Right. So, I mean, maybe that, but honestly, I don't know. I I don't think it really matters. I still have got to where I needed to get to. Yep. Um, yeah. And I mean, honestly, trust your gut. I, that's, that's my advice for every single person I've ever met, you know, because I think, you know, you know, when, when people tell me like, well, I don't know what to do in this situation. My answer is, yeah, you do. You just haven't figured it out yet. Yeah. <laughs> you absolutely do. And then within a couple of minutes of chatting about things, people kind of come up with something. And I say, well, see, you, you knew exactly what you needed to do. When you think about the future, 
the next one, three, five years. How do you think about that? I mean, I definitely see myself in private practice, you know, working with people struggling with anxiety and sort of relationship issues and life choices and yeah. depression. I mean, I think that's kind of my my niche. So, yeah, I mean, I see myself sticking with this. I yeah. really feel like I, I kind of got led, thanks to you, in, in the direction that, you know, I needed to be in. Well, that's fantastic. Stephanie Weston, really, really interesting conversation. I appreciate you being so forthcoming about it. Of course. Thank you for having me. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Our Authentic Careers with me, your host, Gert Sabar. If you like what you just heard, I hope you'll let your family, friends, and colleagues know all about this little podcast. And since it's early days here at the OAC, your rating and especially your review of the show on iTunes would also be hugely helpful and very much appreciated. If you think you or someone you know would be a great guest, please, 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 please don't hesitate to reach out at ourauthenticcareers.com.